0: Good to see everyone today. Glad you're here. Uh, welcome everybody around Orland, Homer Glenn, New Linux. everybody online. Uh, it's been a good weekend already together. Thanks to the team, right? Uh, thanks to the team on all of our campuses leading us. Awesome time. Bringing our hearts and voices uh, together today. Grateful for that. Uh, we are in this series uh, that we started a couple weeks ago. Uh, if you've been around here, we're talking about God's will. And how do you find God's will? How do you live in God's will uh, with your life, with your family, with your finances, things uh, like that in your, in your career? And we're going to continue that series uh, today, but I also, um, last weekend, I want to go back to something Tim said, because if you were around here, sometimes I just uh, have to clarify. Uh, certain things in Tim's message. Uh, I don't do this too often, but when it's important, it's important, right? So he's talking about heaven last week. If you were around, he said he had a vision, uh, or he told a story about a vision in heaven where he'd seen Pastor Jason there, and Jason appeared to be okay. He saw Pastor Richie there, uh, and he also seemed to be more or less fine. And then he saw me uh, in heaven. This is Pastor Tim's vision. And I was actually, uh, which seemed odd to me, but I was chained to Wonder Woman, uh, Gal Gadot, the, the person who plays Wonder Woman in the movies, and Tim insinuated, I don't know if he meant to do this, but he insinuated that I was like a punishment to Wonder Woman, to Gal, to Gal for, for you know, and, but yet she was in heaven, but yet she was somehow being punished by being chained to me. And I, I don't know exactly how, where he saw that, but pretty quickly we got a response from Gal. Um, I just assume it's her press secretary or something like that, uh, that that sent this in. But I just wanted us to know this before we move on into this week. Here's what she says back. Hey, uh, before meeting Todd Clark, I was a woman. But after meeting Todd, I am Wonder Woman. Uh, this must have been God's will for my life. So uh, it probably worked out okay for her, evidently. Uh, <laughs> but, but, yeah, thanks. Thanks, man. I, I tried, okay? I can't just let that go, right? I actually sent that to Tim moments after he was preaching. He's offstage, and he's like, Oh, you know, anyway. So uh, sometimes uh, you know, we get back and forth each other. I, I love him. I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful that we get to grow and study and be a part of things and have some fun uh, like this together. So continuing on now into the actual series on understanding and living out God's will. Last week, Pastor Tim did a great job of sharing with us several different types of of will uh, that are at work in this world, of God's will, if you will. Um, And here they are. If you want just a quick review, if you're taking notes, want to take a picture of the screen or something like that, you have God's providential will, you have God's personal will, and you have God's moral will. And as you take a look at these, God's providential will and his moral will may be considered kind of like guardrails, if you will, if you want to just kind of consider them Like that. So you have his providential will on one side, you have his moral will on one side, and those are kind of like the guardrails. And then inside of those things, you can find God's personal or God's more specific will for your life, your family, your kids, your job, your financial career, all these types of things. Now, God's providential will is the kind of things that God is just, he's going to do these things. Uh, whether we really want him to or not. This, he's going to do them because he's God. It's not that we, he needs our opinion on this or he doesn't necessarily need our, our help in this. It's, it's things like God's going to send his son Jesus into the world to be born into this world. He doesn't ask our opinion. He doesn't ask, hey, do you guys want this? You know, this, this he doesn't ask the time. He doesn't ask the date. He's just going to do it because he's God. This is his providential will, stuff that he's just up to in the world. You go on the other side of, the, of that guardrail, you have God's moral will. And, and these are things like how God wants us to live in our lives. These may be considered, you know, some of those thou shalts and thou shalt nots. I, I want you to live a sexually pure life life. I want you to live in purity in your relationships, in integrity in your relationships. You don't have to pray about that. God's already spoken about that. I don't want you to live in drunkenness, right? I don't want you to be prone to drunkenness. You don't have to pray about that. God, should I have that drink or that drink or that drink? You don't even have to pray about going that far because God's already said, I don't want you to live in a state of drunkenness because you make decisions that are outside, usually the decisions you would usually make. So, you have God's providential will and you have God's moral will, and then inside of Those, you find God's personal or specific will for our lives. And and these are things like should I date this person if you're a young person? Should I break up with this person? Should I get engaged to this person? Should I marry this person? Should we make this move? Should we buy this business? Should we sell this business? Should I invest in this stock or or this crypto or, or whatever it is? Most all of us, no matter our age or stage, are really wanting to know and discern each and every week, God, what. What should I do specifically in my life, in this relationship with our finances? Now, here's, here's just a quick thing, and then we're going to continue on to, to, to this week's message. Here's what happens a lot of times. We find ourselves living out here, outside the known will of God. We know that we are living outside the parameters of how God really wants us to live. And yet we are wanting and hoping to find God's personal specific will. And I just want to ask you. How likely are we to find God's personal specific will for our lives while we're living out here? How often do we run into it? The best way to find God's personal specific will is to the best of your ability, get inside the guardrails of his providential will, get inside the guardrails of his moral will, how he wants us to live, and then you have a better and better chance of understanding, living out, and running into his personal specific will for our lives, okay. So, with that being said, this week the question is this: What happens when you need to know God's will like fast, like you don't have like a year to grow into it? I can't just take time. I, I I have a decision. Some of you are thinking I have a decision to make this next week or two weeks from now, or I have a decision to make on Wednesday that I need some answers for. Is there a fast track? Is there an autobahn? to understanding God's will and how he's probably leading you and the answer is of course yes God wants you and I to know his will even more than we want to know it he's not hiding it from us and so that's where we're gonna go today what are some questions what are some things we can learn when you need to know God's will swiftly and we're gonna get there I promise by the end of our study today now Before we get there, we're going to go into about a 20-minute Bible study in 1 Kings chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, if you have a smart phone or something like that, we're going to also have it up on the screen. 1 Kings chapter 12, let me give you just a little bit of update on what's going on here, and then we'll dive in, and then we'll pull some life lessons out for ourselves at the end of this story that I think will be really, really, really valuable, especially if you have big decisions to make in the next week or two. So 1 Kings chapter 12. Uh, God establishes his nation of Israel as a theocracy, meaning that God would be their king, and he would give them all kinds of laws that would be officiated by judges, right? It kind of sounds familiar, right? Here we are several thousand years later, and we have laws officiated by judges. That's kind of how we live, but this was God's idea at the very beginning. And so God said, I'm going to be your king, a theocracy, but very early on, God's people, the people of Israel, started saying, okay, okay, that's great. But here, here's the thing. We want our own king. We want like a king like everyone else has. All the other people around us have like, kings like, like with, with skin on. We don't want you to be our king. We wanna, we, can we please have a king? Can we please have a king like everyone else has a king? And so God finally relents and says, okay, you can have a king like everyone else has a king. Okay, and so here's what he does. He gives <clears throat> these kings. First king of Israel's uh, Israelite people is Saul, right? Saul reigns for about 40 years. And then it goes on to his son David. David reigns for about 40 years, and then it goes on to his son Solomon, and he reigns for about 40 years. And then after Solomon is his son Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, this is where our study is going to take place today in 1 Kings chapter 12. It's Solomon has died, and Rehoboam is getting ready to become the king, and he needs some of God's wisdom in his life, just like a lot of us do. He needs some of God's direction. And so this is what we're going to study today. Now, I want everybody uh, on the count of three to say Rehoboam. Okay, ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Rehoboam. Rehoboam. Very good. And I want you to say that because there's another Bohem in the Bible study today. Okay? It can be confusing. There's multiple Bohems in the Bible. Okay? Study. This guy's name is Jeroboam. Jeroboam isn't related to any of those folks. He's not related to Solomon, but he's an outstanding, skilled worker. He rises up in Solomon's kingdom, and uh, he's very administrative. He's like his lead executive person, and he's in charge of like all the forced labor uh, in all of Solomon's kingdom. Now, understand this, that Solomon, that king we saw up there, He was all about construction. He built all kinds of cities. He built palaces and buildings. He had like 150,000 plus people in forced labor because of debts and things like that. He was really heavy on them. And Jeroboam was over like all of those people. He was over all those different people, okay? And uh, so he was a really skilled, important person. And then what happened is a rumor started to float around in the nation, and that is that Jeroboam, not Rehoboam, the king's son, Jeroboam was gonna be the next king. And guess what? That is not a good rumor to be floating around in those days. He knew that that would probably get him killed floating around, and so Jeroboam takes off from his post, from his role. He goes over to Egypt and starts living there in exile. And that's the backdrop for what I want us to study uh, today. Solomon has died. His son Jeroboam is going to be the next king. And let's pick it up. I'm just going to sit here and work through, walk through this study with you. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him the king. So Shechem is like uh, the original capital of the Israelite people before Jerusalem. And so this is a very sacred place to them. And they all go there for the inauguration to make Rehoboam king. Verse 2, when Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, heard all of this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from Solomon, he returned. So Jeroboam says, wait a minute, The ding dong, Solomon is dead. I'm going to go back there. They're going to be crowning this new king. I want to see how all this happens is this inauguration moment. So verse 3, So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel, so all of the people of Israel, gather together, and Rehoboam, that's the king's son, Solomon said to them, Your father put a heavy yoke on us. Now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke that he put on us, and we will serve you. So in other words, all of these people, Rehoboam is getting ready to be pronounced king, but all the people come to him and say, listen, listen, we're in. We're in for you to be the next leader and the next king. But here's the thing. Don't be like your dad. Don't rule us the way your dad did. He was so hard on us. He was always, you know, forcing us into things. It was just building, building, raising taxes, all of those sorts of things. Just don't do it like your dad and we will serve you no problem. And so Rehoboam, has a couple of decisions to make. And and he makes some really good decisions. The first really good decision that Rehoboam makes when the people say that to him is this, in verse five. So Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. So his first decision is this. Whenever you have a big decision to make, Rehoboam does something good here. He says, hey, I need some time to think about this. I need to think about it. Give me a few days. And so the people go away for a few days. And a lot of times that's us. We need to just take a few days before we make that big decision. Now, let me apply this to my life. Maybe this will make sense to you. Um, when, when you have that big decision to make, you have a few days to make it. So you tell people, hey, I'll let you know a few days from now. What do you do in the meantime? What, what, what do you literally do to get in the zone to help Be ready to receive God's voice and will in your life. About a year ago, I had a big decision. My wife and I, we wanted to refinance our house. And that's always a hard thing to figure out, right? Is rates going up? Is rates going down? Should we do this? Should we take that? And we, we thought about it a lot. But I knew I had about a week before we needed to lock in at this rate. And I knew I was going to have to take money out of savings and all that. And so while I'm getting ready to make that decision, here's what I did. Three things in my life. And I do this regularly. I've been doing this for years when I have a big decision to make. I wanted to make sure I had plenty of rest. I wanted to make sure I had good exercise in my life. And I wanted to make sure I had good time in the Bible with God's word. So while I was waiting to hear God's voice and his leading, I want to make sure I'm rested up, that I have good exercise, and that I have plenty of Bible in my life. Because if if I'm not well rested or if I haven't been in the Bible in six weeks, I'm probably not in a good place to make some of those big decisions in my life. So those are the types of things you can do while you're in that waiting time. Rehoboam said, go away for a few days because I need time to think about it. The second good decision that Rehoboam makes that we can all learn from is this. 2 Kings, or 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 6. Then Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. So the second good decision is he goes and gets advice. He goes to these people, these men who had been serving in his father's administration, if you will. And they had seen how his dad's administration had kind of gone off the rails. And so he goes to them and he says, hey, listen, listen, here's what I need to know. What should I do? What should I do? Verse 7, they replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. In other words, Rehoboam, listen, listen. Here's the advice. Here's the advice. If you want to become the king, which is what you're saying of this united kingdom, then here's what you do. You put these other people's interests above yours. Serve them. He said, they say it twice. Serve them. Be good to them. Be fair. Be honest. And then you will be the king of this united kingdom. That's what you want. Now, that's good advice, but some of you who have studied this story before, you know what Rehoboam does. You know what we do a lot of times. Check this out, verse 8, but Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him because it was not exactly what he wanted to hear, right? It's what he needed to hear, but it's not what he wanted to hear, I love what Pastor Andy Stanley says. We'll put it up on the screen. He says, we usually end up where we don't want to be when we do exactly what we want to do. When we just do what we want to do, that oftentimes puts us in a rough place. A lot of times the reason we get into so much debt in our life is because we just do what we want to do with our money and we'll deal with it later, right? I'll, I have two credit cards. I have three credit cards. I'll figure this out. It'll all get figured out. No problem. We just do what we want to do. A lot of times the reasons our marriages get all out of whack is because we just do what we want to do. And we say things like, you know what, listen, hello, hello. She's the one who needs to, I mean, she needs to calm down. Or he needs to calm down. Or he needs to do this, not me. And we just do what we want to do. A lot of times the reason our friendships crash and burn is because we just do what we want to do. A lot of times, not always, I know there are other things that go along with this, but with our own personal health, a lot of times the reason our own health can get out of whack is because we just, you know, I'm going to eat what I want to eat when I want to eat it. I'm going to exercise if I want to exercise, and I'm not going to exercise sometimes. And we just do what we want to do when we want to do it, and we listen to who we want to listen to. That's what Rehoboam did. And then he did what we often do. Look at verse 8 again. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him, And look at this, he consulted the young men who'd grown up with him and were serving him. So these are his buddies, right? He rejects the good advice of these people and he goes to people who are no smarter than he is, no older than he is. And by the way, these guys are on his payroll, right? And here's just a little piece of advice, Parkview. Here's a piece of advice. When you only get advice, from people who are getting a paycheck from you, you're going to just get the advice that you want. You're going to hear what you want to hear when you're just asking people that are on your payroll. I promise. So in verse 9, take a look at what happens. He kind of gets out of bounds here, right? He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? Verse 10, these young men who had grown up with him replied, These people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them. You ever have to go like, now they're getting ready to pipe off, right? Okay, okay. You tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. What a slam, right? My father laid a heavy yoke on you. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So his younger friend's advice is basically, hey, you thought my dad was a heavyweight? I'm going to be even more of a heavyweight. My little finger is as thick as his whole waist. You thought he was big, I'm big. I'm going to put all kinds of pressure on you. That was the brilliant advice that his contemporaries, his buddies, gave him. So come back to the story, verse 12. Three days later... Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam. As the king had said, remember that, come back in three days. I need some time to think about this. I need some time to get my mind get some good advice. And then the king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given to them by the elders. And he followed the advice of the young men. And he said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So essentially he powers up on them. He says, listen, I'm the king. I'm the one who says what goes. And he just powers up on these folks. Verse 16, when all Israel saw that the king had refused to listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David. And so the Israelites went home. Now, I I know this section of scripture, for us today, it, Kind of like, well, what are you talking about there? What part do we have in Jesse's son to your own house, David? What exactly does this mean? It's hard for us to understand exactly what's being said here, but I'm telling you, it, it was incredibly offensive back to the king. Basically, what they were saying to him is, okay, you know what, Rehoboam? If this is the way you're going to talk to us, here's, here's what we say to you. Why don't you go build your own blankety-blank cities? Okay. Why don't you just do that? You want, want palaces? Go build your own palaces. Why don't, you, want, you want to rule somebody? How about this? How about you just rule yourself? Hmm? You can rule you, because we're going home. And they basically drop the mic, and they go back to their homes. And then in verse 19, check out verse 19. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. So here you have this point in history. If you study the Bible some, you you know about the the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, that the nation of Israel gets all divided and they're separated and at war and all this kind of stuff. This is where it happens. It's it's, it's divided out because this person who gets initially, does some good things, ends up not listening and living out that good advice when he needed advice and God's will pretty quickly. He had a few days. So, Let's take all of that. We've just gone through a big section of the Bible in study. So what does this mean for us today, right? What if you need to know some of God's will and God's leading like this week coming up for your life, your career, your kids, your college, whatever it is, your finances, or even next week or sometime this summer. What do you do if you need to know God's will in your life fast, Here's a few things I would encourage you to write down. These are lessons that we can pull from this study that we've just been through today. Write these down or take pictures of the screen. First thing is this. Choose someone who has nothing to gain or lose by telling you the truth. If you have something that's going on in your life that you really, really do honestly want good advice for, choose somebody to talk to about it who has nothing to gain or lose. See, Rehoboam's problem is this that he went to people who had something to gain and something to lose. He went to his friends who didn't want to lose his friendship, and he went to his friends, his buddies, who also wanted to gain being in his cabinet, being rulers with him. So, so they, they had something to gain and something to lose. So when you and I are looking for that kind of advice, Go to somebody who's objective, you know, who's, who's not just a buddy of yours, who's not in the same boat as you, right? Let me just have a little bit of fun with this and put it into real life. Let's, let's just say this. Let's say you want to buy a car. You're getting ready to buy a car. You haven't bought a car for a while. You're looking to buy a car. You find some good deals maybe coming up around Memorial Day. And so you know you're going to have to get into five or six years of payments to buy this car. And so you're really thinking about it. Who should you go to to get advice about whether or not you should get a new car should you and here's what we often do should you go to the person the friend of yours who just three weeks ago bought a new car or should you go to the person who's been driving like the same civic for 25 years most of us go to the person who just bought the new car a month or so ago and we go to them and say hey i'm thinking about buying a new car what should i do and they say you know what i just bought a new car it is awesome it is so cool. You should definitely do it. I mean, debt. I mean, the, the debt is so cool. I mean, debt is awesome. It's fun because you have to make these payments, and, but you got a new car, and everybody loves it, and everybody's looking at it, and you know you can shine it up, and, and usually we go to that kind of person who's in the same boat that we are, and it's not always the most objective advice. For me, when I'm looking to get golf clubs, this has happened to me a couple times. I want new golf clubs because definitely they're going to help me play better. Who do I go to? I go to people who just got new golf clubs. Should I get new golf clubs? Oh, yeah. These are like way, these are, you know, so, oh, yeah. And that's who I go to, right? What what about this? Uh, Let's say you're getting ready to redo your kitchen. And during the last few years, a lot of people have been doing house things, renovations. Let's say you're getting ready to spend, uh, you know, 120 grand redoing your kitchen. Who, Who do you go to for advice on that? Who should you go to? You go to the people who just spent 150 grand redoing their kitchen? Or do you go to the people who've been living with the same kitchen since like 1981? Who do you go to? You go to the people most often who just spend 150 grand, right? Because they're going to be the ones going, "Oh yeah, you need to do this. You definitely take out the second. Yeah, do it. Yeah, home loan. Yeah, absolutely. Equity loan, sure." And what I'm saying is they're in the same boat as us a lot of times. They have something to gain or lose that will be in it with them. And when you and I are really looking for good advice, no matter what it is, we should be willing to go to, we should be smart enough to go to people who have nothing to gain or lose by telling us the truth. Okay, they're not just buddies, they're not just contemporaries, they're not just in the same boat as we are. Here's a second thing that you and I should be thinking about. Choose someone who is a little bit further down the road than you. Remember, you want to find that personal will of God we talked about at the very beginning. You want to get in that zone. Go to somebody and talk to somebody about what decisions you have to make this week or next week. Go to somebody who's a little bit further down the road. Rehoboam did that initially, right? He went to those older, wiser folks, but he didn't like what they said. And that's us a lot of times, isn't it? We continue seeking advice until we find the advice that we're seeking. But Rehoboam ended up going to these younger folks. And it messed him all up. People who were contemporaries to him. So I would just say this to you. Listen, in in a practical way, in a practical way, if you need some advice on God's will with your money, for instance, go find somebody who's maybe 10 or 20 years older than you, maybe has a lot of their house paid down, has helped a kid or two get through college, doesn't have all the car loans, and go to them and grab some advice from them. They're a little further down the road from you. You need some advice in your marriage. Maybe you've been married a year, or maybe you've been married two years or five years, and you're thinking, man, this is so hard, I don't know if we're gonna do this. I don't know if we're gonna be able to stay together. This is brutal. Don't just go to people who've been married three years because you're just going go, yeah, it is brutal. I don't know what we should do. We, we should just stop all this. Right, That's what other contemporaries are going to say. Don't don't do that. Listen, if you want that good advice and God's personal, specific, good plan for your life, go to some people that you know just celebrated a 10-year anniversary or a 20-year or a 40-year or a 50-year anniversary and take them out to a really nice dinner and say, hey, listen, what, what should I do about this? What should we do? What is some of the advice that you would give to us? And I know this can be tender because a lot of times those people who we think we should be able to go to for advice are family members and things like that, maybe parents or a mom or a dad. And I know this, what I'm talking about for some of you probably is really challenging and tender because maybe you've lost one of your parents or maybe you've lost both of your parents or maybe maybe honestly you would just say, Todd, I would love it if I could go to my parents for advice, but I just, I, I can't. My parents would not be the best people to go to for the kind of advice that I would want to find God's will in my life. And it's just true. And I would just say to you, even if that's the case, if you don't have any of those people super close like that, that's the beauty of the local church. That's the beauty of Parkview. I mean, all of our campuses, look around you. We are a multi-generational place. That's the reason I love the groups that we have, the small groups in Alpha and in Rooted and things like that. If you've ever been in those groups, they're multi-generational. There's 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, and and there's all kinds of, of advice and wisdom you can gain when you get involved in Parkview in these different groups. And I would just encourage you, listen, if you truly are a person who wants to understand the specific personal will of God for your life, then you should cultivate relationships with people that are a generation beyond you. Cultivate relationships with people that are a generation beyond you. If you're in your 30s, it's people in your 40s and 50s. If you're in your 50s, it's people in their 60s and 70s and beyond. Cultivate those things. And then here's what I would say. Pull this all together. When you find people, when you find some people who are a little bit further down the road than you, and they don't have anything to gain or lose by telling you the truth, Here's what you ask them when you're sitting down at dinner with them. You ask them these two things. The first thing is what I'm considering outside the boundaries of God's word or God's will. It could be that as we go back to that providential will of God and that moral will of God thing, you may be saying to yourself, you know what, Todd, I don't even really know. I haven't been studying the Bible for like a long time. I don't have the whole Bible memorized I don't know exactly if I'm inside those things or not, then here's what I would say. Go find somebody who is a little bit further down the road than you, has nothing to gain or lose by telling you the truth, and just ask them, is what I'm considering with my life, with my family, with my money, is it outside those boundaries of God's will and his word? I Just ask them that question. And then here's the second thing. What would you do if you were me, what would you do if you were in my shoes? You're a little bit older. You're a little bit further down the road. You've been through some tough stuff. You've raised some kids. You've been through a marriage. You've navigated a divorce. You've navigated a bankruptcy. You, whatever it is, what would you do if you were me? You find those people, and then you ask those questions of them. And that puts us on the path again to understanding God's will. So let's look at this. Let's start again, or let's end where we pulled all this together. You have God's providential will, which is that one guardrail there. And then you have God's moral will over here. And then you have God's personal will right here, which is what we all want to be finding, right? So, how do you do this? how do you do this if you have decisions to make in the next week or two weeks? You find somebody who's a little further down the road, a little older than you. Nothing to gain or lose by telling you the truth. And then you just ask them, hey, what I'm thinking about, is that inside or outside? From what you know about God and the Bible, you're a little further down the road than me. Is it inside or outside God's Will and leading for my life. I'm trusting you on this. You just ask him that question and then you say, What would you do? What would you do if you were me? And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I, I've played this out over and over in my life. God is not trying to hide his will from us, he wants us to know it more than we want to find it most of the time. And I've lived this out and it has given me great confidence it has given me great wisdom and frankly it has helped me make some great life decisions when I've needed to make them pretty quick and I think it will help us as well let's pray God thanks for today thanks so much for your word and the wisdom that is in it and how it intersects with our real lives the things we have to do and say to people the things, the money we have to spend, God, that that this could be so practical, so relational. God, thank you for churches and places like Parkview that are full of people in a multi-generational way, full of wisdom, if we'll just seek it. God, we trust that you will speak to us as we seek you. And God, we pray that you would give us the energy to live out your will as it becomes clear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone says, amen. Amen. Amen.